for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Alright, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blicey. Welcome back to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blicey, and this is episode number 50, the Big 5-0. Wow, I just can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, man, milestone. <laughs> It is a milestone. It really is. I mean, it only took, oh, what is it, 10 months to get to 50. (laughs) Missing a couple weeks here and there in the fall, though, just because the grind and everything. And, you know, now that we're pumping out two a week with the coffee calls and the the main show here, we're getting back up on on track and going to be a lot better with that coming up this, you know, this year and got some things in the works and I can't wait, man. I'm still excited about it. I love doing these things, and it's exciting. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy it, too. I feel like sometimes we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what we want to talk about, but uh, it seems like it comes out okay. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is the possibilities are just endless. I mean, yeah, you can talk about so many things. You can get granular with it. I mean, we could talk about broadheads one time, you know, arrow building, bow building, and not just that, but, like, the management side. It's just endless, and it's like... You try, you know, we we try and be relevant with the content as much as we can when when we talk about the management and like the farm stuff. And I want people to be able to take the information as they hear it right off the bat, and then go out and, and implement that right away if they want. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, like you said, you can literally do it on anything, and it sounds easy to just pick something out of the sky, but when the possibilities are so vast it's kind of hard to just pick one and that's you know and that's ultimately why we wanted to start the coffee calls because we wanted to hear from all the listeners right you know we kind of get tunnel vision in a way when we're thinking of guests every week and and getting a hold of these guys and gals and you know i like to hear from other people and and get into the questions that they want to hear too because ultimately that's what we're doing this for is to try to reach out to those people and and get what they want so right yeah it's all right it's it's a good system so far and said we've had some really great guests in the past and you know i know we've got some really good ones coming up from going forward too so yeah i don't know we kind of had the idea this week at 50 just to kind of talk between the two of us to kind of look back and look forward but then also talk about maybe some production stuff um, because i know it's you know something we obviously have pretty big grasp on and Everyone's got a YouTube page now, so or a YouTube channel. So, you know, I don't feel like we get that many questions about this stuff, like to justify the coffee calls. So we're just gonna kind of dive into it and go back and forth on on our editing styles and shooting, you know, for the edit when you're in the field. Yeah, and you know, you and I have two different ways of going about what we do, but we're getting the same end goal. Right. We're putting out content, and people seem to really like it because I know. You know our shows and everything get really good feedback, and I'm sure you guys do as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't get to see the back end of that stuff, but yeah, I mean, jumping into basically producing your your hunts as far as shooting for the edit, and then getting into the you know the edit bay when you're done, and try to put that together because 
ultimately that's when everything is going to come to fruition and, and that's your final product. So you really want to know how to first shoot it for the edit yep. for that final product. You know what I yep. mean? And uh, it's not something that you can just kind of pick up a camera and go do. I mean, you can do it, but is it the most effective and efficient way if you haven't really learned or, you know, done a lot of it? So I, I think that's kind of something we can jump into today and uh, kind of take it from there. Yeah, and I mean, there's no more no more black and white way to, to put that, you know, like you just said, other than by telling people that this is the difference between a cameraman and a field producer. Like the things that we're about to explain, you know, define a field producer and their abilities versus just a cameraman. And I mean, that's... I don't, I don't mean to sound conceited about that, but I mean, you and I will both agree that there is a difference and it comes down to, you know, your ability to, to recognize the story that's taking place and how to document it for the editor, whether that's, whether that's for you as the editor or for somebody else in the office or somebody you want to sub out to edit for you. Like there's a difference. Yep. I agree, man. And honestly, I think a lot of our peers, you know, the guys that we work with in the industry and everything. I think they could, you know, vouch for the same thing and, and agree with us by saying, you know, there is a difference between a field producer and a cameraman. And and I, you know, none of us mean that in a bad way. Like there's a lot of good, effective cameramen out there. It's just they're put in a situation where they just need to, you know, lay down a kill shot and get in the, you know, get in a tree or a blind, hit record, make sure it's in focus, make sure your, your exposure is good. And then for a field producer, you're just, that guy's producing the whole show from start to finish. He's got to think one step ahead of everybody. Think about how the storyline's going and, you know, how he sees it in the edit as well, you know, at the end of it and how the final product really is. And that's two vastly different ways of thinking. I mean, but there's nothing wrong with that either. No, there's not. And it's, I mean, it's not, it's not something I take offense to. If someone calls me a cameraman, I mean, that's just, it's a term. It's kind of a, you know, it's just a socially acceptable title in our business. And it's, I mean, you know, un- until you ask the guy, it's like, like I said, I, it doesn't it doesn't upset me or insult me that I get called a cameraman by somebody who doesn't know what I'm actually doing. It's just, it's just right. the way people see you. Like, you're always the guy holding the camera. So it's like, oh, he's a cameraman. Exactly. Yep. I don't know. Like you said, there's, to be able to be in the field and know what the editor is going to need or, you know, the shots you have to get in order to to convey the message you're trying to tell. I mean, I mean, there's, there's a different feeling that a viewer gets when they see a really badass drone shot set to the right piece of music or like when you're shooting in 120, you know, while it's snowing out and you got a guy walking, you know, up to his knees in the snow, you know, like it's just, it's those little things that you interpret that put the viewer in that moment. And not everybody can do that. In my opinion. I agree. Well, before we jump into that, you know, we haven't really did any updates much on here, what's going on with us and, and everything. And you just got off of the Iowa Deer Classic for a long weekend. And, oh, you know, yeah. I kind of want to know how that went. I didn't even talk to you about that. So, how? I mean, how did that all shake out? Oh, it was good. I mean, just a typical weekend, you know, show schedule. Stay awake late, get up early, and, you know, just talk to everybody that wants to stop by and talk to you. Uh, I was able to actually get out of the booth for a while and catch up with uh, with Lindsay Zastro. We had her on a few weeks ago talking about her buck kill, and she actually won uh, second place women's archery for the biggest buck in Iowa this year. You know, of the deer that were submitted um, at the at the expo or the right. uh, at the classic. So that was kind of cool. Uh, I got to meet her face to face, and uh, I got to meet Andrew Walter at Wild Edge. I know he was on with you kind of before I came on the scene, but. Yep. It was just cool to like meet people that we've already had interaction with. You know, we already realized we have something in common. Like we we love what they do as as hunters and you know the products they bring and um you know whether that's the hunting story or a specific product, you know, like the difference between Drew and Lindsay, but um it was just neat. Like it's like you already know these people and you never even met them face to face. Yep. And uh you know, it's kind of the same way like it was kind of fulfilling for me because that's how the viewers see us like it's like oh i saw your hunt you know it's like that was so cool or like they feel like they already know you and it's like well because 
yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it that way. Like there's people out there yep. that pay attention to that, you know, and it was like the way I felt meeting Drew and Lindsay, I felt the same way meeting anyone who come up to me to talk about the hunt that they saw, you know, that went out back in December. It was like, man, this is, I didn't, I didn't ever look at it this way before, but it's, it's pretty humbling. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, Drew, I mean, him and Lindsay both are great people. Um, I wanted to touch on Drew for a second. Drew is a solid guy and his product, and I've said it before, he's got the Wild Edge stepladder. That's, you know, his company and it's a climbing method. It's a way to climb up, you know, in your tree and whether you're using a saddle or a tree stand and these things are awesome. They're about a pound a piece and you can customize them any way you want. If you want, you know, 10 steps, you can get a bag of 10. If you want eight, you want six, you want 15, like you can customize them on the website. And, you know, he's got this thing dialed. Like these steps are really nice. And for, you know, the run and gun mobile guy, and even for a guy that just sets up his stands, you know, you can leave these in trees forever. Like Drew's got, he was telling me he's got steps that have been in the same tree for like 10, 15 years and everything's still good on straps are good. You know, he's never taken them out and they're still just as solid as they were the first day, you know, put them out there. So his product is really neat. And honestly, probably in my opinion, the best climbing method out there that, I mean, for one that I've used for two, I would just say all around, because if you're on public land, if you're a public land hunter, you can't screw in anything into the, you know, the tree. These don't hurt the tree at all. They're light. You know, if you got a set of 10, you're, you're about 10 pounds. I mean, so it's light. And then, uh, I mean, they come in a cool bag that, you know, you sling over your shoulder, over your neck and everything, and they pack really nice. They're quiet. And honestly, you can get up in the tree quiet, effectively, and safely as well. And these steps just are just really cool. And I honestly want to get Drew back on again and talk a little bit more about him, but also get into his season because he killed a couple bucks this year. And yeah. um, I need to reach back out to him and uh, see if he'd want to come back on and, and do some talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, he's got a really good thing going on there. And, I mean, I just encourage everybody to go and look at him. Go to his website, look at him, go to the social pages. You know, he, it's Wild Edge. Um, that's his company. And the the steps are called the step ladder. So yep. go check that out and and uh, read up on them because they're really cool. Yeah, he had some new stuff at the Deer Classic that was uh, supposed to come out this month, um, you know, for sale. He's got a really cool platform that they've that they've built that's integrated right into the steps. Uh, kind of locks in, so you don't need to buy any extra parts. If like if you're a saddle hunter, um, you know you've got a nice platform right there. That's it's all aluminum, and I mean they had some pretty big some pretty big boys hanging off of that thing at the show, and uh, it was it was very impressive as far as what those little steps can handle. Yeah, that's really cool, and I I did see that. I mean you did that live feed on the on the Instagram and. And uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, well, you actually showed more of the steps, but uh, on some of the live stuff and the stuff Drew was doing, I saw that platform. That was really cool. Yep. Cool and good idea. I mean, he, the guy's got a hell of a engineer mind, I'll tell you. I mean, he makes all that stuff in his shop, like right there at his house. And, like, that's crazy. You know, he just grinds it out, man. He's a hard worker, and he's he's a good dude, too. Yep. Yeah, he really is. So that was about it for the the classic then, huh? Not much else going on. Talk to some people and yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't get to break away from our booth a whole lot. Um, I did some filming there for our off season episode that went out well last week, I guess two weeks ago it would have been now. No, it was last week. I'm not sure. I lost track of weeks, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I did too. I thought yesterday was Thursday all day. Yep. Anyway, I was floating around getting some shots for that for that episode that came out after the classic was over. Um, you know, other than that, just, just meeting viewers and, you know, seeing some people from the industry that were in town for the show and just kind of catching up. Um, I didn't go to ATA this year, so this was the only show I did with Midwest Whitetail this year and kind of our hometown, hometown show, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was just nice to be home and still have the same, I guess the same feeling you get 
when you go out and meet everybody somewhere else like that. Right. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's always fun to go to those shows. I've never been to the IO Deer Classic. Always wanted to go. Just haven't really had time to be able to to devote to go out there and do it. But that's cool. I know it's a pretty big show and a lot of cool people there. And yeah. But uh, as for me, I mean, a little bit, just a quick quick update. I haven't done much really. I I uh, very quickly I did a, a swipe around the main farm to look for some sheds and just so much snow still. I had to take the snowmobile out there <laughs> because there's just so much snow still. And and I I pulled some cameras and or pulled some cards from the cameras and everything just to see what's kind of moving through. But other than that, I mean, last weekend I went in and did some hinge cutting in the one acre. Some more. Uh, I did more hinge cutting this year for access. You know, I, I wanted to be able to get into some stands and not have to push anything out of the one acre. And I've got a new plan, which I really dissected it this time. And I know I had planned, you know, on our podcast before how we talked about our plans for 2019. I tweaked it a little bit just because um, I think I found out a better way to hunt this one acre. And we're going to see if it all works, you know, coming this season. But I got a pretty cool plan. Um, and I might actually even do a video about it to be able to put up on the YouTube channel, but we'll see. So I went out there and did a little bit of hinge cutting and just blocked some areas off. So I'm able to get into some, some stands and spend a couple hours doing that. But that's, that's about it, man. I mean, really haven't really done much other than that. Like I said, I like to stay off the farm and as much as I can. And, and, uh, especially right now with those deer, just, you know, it's getting warmer though. I mean, it, it, we're we're kind of out of that. I, I, well, I say that we're kind of out of the, you know, extreme cold, but who knows? I mean, it's Michigan. You never know. I mean, right now, today, it's 34 degrees with 21 mile an hour wind and it rained all night last night. And then Thursday is supposed to be a high of 62. So <laughs> I really Jeez. don't know what the heck's going on, but that's Michigan for you. But yeah, that's about it. I mean, getting ready to get the bow out. I've just got done zeroing that thing in down in the basement and got it all tuned up and ready to go. But now I just got to find, you know, a window in the weather to go out and shoot it a little bit. But uh, other than that, I mean, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot right now, you know, and just works pretty busy just trying to edit Rival and and uh, getting dropped out, which, by the way, dropped will air tonight at 730 on the Outdoor Channel if anybody wants to to see that so um yeah but other than that i did want to briefly talk real quick about uh i I know both of us did about america's best bowstrings you know you guys hear the little snippets every every week about uh our partner america's best and i honestly want to talk about them for just a a quick second i know we're kind of getting lengthy here on this intro but these guys offer a lot of really good strings uh and cables and I just kind of want to break down a little bit what they do offer. You know, they have a platinum series string that's the top of the line. And also they have a premium series string, which is the OG. I mean, that's what America's Best was, you know, created from was these premium strings. And then lastly, they have a pursuit set of strings, which is comes in right around $100. And this is still top of the line string, but it's more for that um, that guy that uh, is kind of on a budget and you know still wants a really quality string and a lot of possibilities with custom colors and all that like all these strings come with i mean endless amounts of colors that you can do on these with serving and with the uh string itself and uh the pursuit is just like i said it's just more of a cost effective string that really is a high performer as well and you know if you guys are in the market for them you know, in good time, tax return money's coming back. I know, you know, you're looking at your bow and you want to pimp it out a little bit more. Go to America's Best Bowstrings and, and customize your string. Do what you want to do with your colors and your, you know, your shrink wrap and your, you know, the colors on that. And then uh, at checkout, type in fall podcast for uh, $10 off. So you get $10 off of orders over $100 or more. So just a cool little thing that they're helping us out with. And, I really appreciate Bryant and Jerry over there and, and really doing that because they didn't have to do that. And, you know, it's just really cool what they're doing. And I, I can vouch, and I know you can as well because we've used their strings now for a little bit, and they're high-quality strings and really cool people to work with as well. And, and the company is, is second to none. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, I actually just got word that I'm I'm going to be shooting a, a different bow again this year. So I've I've got another bow coming already, and uh, it was a new one for 2019. And I write I went right on the website, and they actually didn't have it listed. So um, I text Bryant, and he's like, "Well, what's it based off of? You know, what kind of cams are they?" And I gave him the info and sent him a link to the to the description of the bow and he's like yeah i found it but we don't have like something about the roller guards on it and uh he said would you be able to just send us the bow and we'll we'll put everything on for you and i was like yeah absolutely so i mean just a an example of not having the bow i wanted a string for he had it found and figured out in 15 minutes and um the only reason he needs the bow is because they haven't done that bow before they need to build the model for it and add it to the list. So I'm going to send it to them as soon as I get it, and they're going to they're going to set it right up for me. Yeah, and it, it's not only just because it's you and I. They would do that for anybody. I would. Oh bet. yeah, because Absolutely. that's just the type of guys they are. And yeah. Jerry, the owner, you know, as you're going to send your bow up there and get it worked on. Jerry has worked in a in a in a bow shop for a long time, and he was a competitive shooter as well. I mean, this guy knows his ways around bows very well. So, I mean, they've got great technicians there. They know what the hell they're doing. And I just can't say enough about all of them because they would say that just about anybody they wouldn't even know as well. Hey, send your bow in. We want to make sure it's done right. And, you know, we don't have the specs for this. They'd do it for anybody. I know they would. But enough with that. I say we get into this uh, this talk. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. We're we're going on like twenty five minutes on on an intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's everybody's probably shut it off by now. So <laughs> we're gonna talk about production. I promise. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I say we get into production here. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's kick it off. Let's start talking about uh, shooting for the edit and then getting it into the. Uh, you know, the edit bay when you're done and, and really finalizing that project. So I don't know. Do you want to kick it off? Do you want me to kick it off? Oh man, I'll kick it off. And I'll just, I'll start by saying that, you know, we we touched on this in the first few minutes, but we've kind of got a different style, a different way that we do things between the two of us. And I think a lot of that comes from the way our content is not only created, but delivered. Like I, I know you shoot a lot of your own stuff that you get to edit for Rival or for Dropped, um, whereas me with Midwest Whitetail, you know, we rely on that semi-live format. So we have, you know, this pro staff all over the country that's you know self-filming, you know, by themselves or with a partner, and it's getting submitted to us, you know, via email. So it's like I don't have any control of that. I, I can give all the feedback I can, I can come up with and try to help these guys and gals you know be better with their cameras but i'm not out there seeing the hunt and documenting it so like when i see it i have to watch the hunt and get a feel for the for the pace or the rhythm of the hunt you know kind of the emotion that's in it you know was it was it disappointment was it you know a kill was it the preparation like try to figure out the underlying theme of their hunt or their you know the footage they send me and figure out a way to incorporate that into an episode that has sometimes two or three other storylines going simultaneously, which I guess is a similarity that we have because that's how you guys run Rival. Exactly. Yep. A lot of different storylines going on at the same time. To that point, I would, you know, my my first thing I would say is when you're going into filming. So let's say you're starting off the year with you know, filming a series or whether it's a short film or if you're trying to film kind of like what Justin does with Midwest Whitetail where you have a weekly show, you know, when you go into that, it's it's all the same process. You want to figure out how you want it to look before you start. You know, you want a good starting point. And, you know, if that's like very cinematic or if that's very raw off the cuff, uh, vlog style, which is a big thing right now. You know, a lot of people doing the vlog style where it's like the selfie style or, you know, it's a mix between the two. You know, you kind of want to make sure you know how you want it to look and what you want the end product to be. Not saying that's going to be what it is at the end. You might, you know, go down a different path once you start figuring things out during the season because the biggest thing with 
with our job being in the the hunting world, you know, dealing with animals that really aren't trained. You know, you can't yeah. dictate what an animal does. You can try like heck, but it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, they don't read the script all the time and, or for, for that matter, very, very little, they read the script, but you know, there are some things that you can control and you need to identify those things that you can control. And that, what I mean by that is, you know, how you capture all the other stuff other than hunting, the outside stuff. Maybe that might be, that might be doing food plots. That might be checking trail cams. That might be hanging tree stands, like figure out how you want that to look, you know, the stuff that you can control and then fill in the blanks with all the hunts. If that makes sense. Because yeah, like I said, you can't dictate that at all. So have a storyline, you know, in mind or a couple before you even get started with all those other elements that you can control. Yeah, it's, and sometimes I mean I've I've found that I mean obviously the goal is to is to tell the story or share the experience, you know, from that person's perspective and like convey the emotion they're experiencing. Um, but sometimes it's like when I start struggling as the editor trying to figure out what these people are doing. It's like, okay, what, how would I feel in their shoes? Like, what's the vision I have of their experience? Like, how am I interpreting this? Even though I'm not there, like how, how, how exactly. is the viewer going to see this? It's like, okay, well just, just take a step out of it for a second and think about what you're watching and how it looks and how it makes you feel. And for me, that's the, that's the hardest part is when I'm not the one shooting the footage, I have to determine what it feels like to watch it. And it's, it's not a matter of just watching it to see him hang a tree stand, you know, but if it's like, you know, they're hanging steps and it's like, Oh, I forgot my rope or you get three steps up and it's like, well, now there's a crotch in the tree. I don't have enough steps to get around it or something, you know, it's like, obviously that person's pretty frustrated by the time it's over with. So like, I want to show that this is very repetitive. It's over and over. Like I forgot this crap. I forgot that, you know, uh, I left my tree saw in the truck. Like, you know, the back and forth, but, you know, I mean, just just an example. It's like, it's not as simple as just saying, hang the tree stand, shoot the deer. You know, it's, there's, there's different moving parts to it that kind of are ebbs and flows of the experience from start to finish. Yeah. And like you said, it's all that extra stuff that is what really matters. You know, there's so many people out there like YouTubers and even television shows that go out there and they just, you just see them in a tree all the time, either talking to the camera about what's going on. And then you see some deer go by and there's no rhyme or reason to it because I mean that they're not producing it. They're just like kind of filming it as what's convenient. You know, you really got to think of the extra stuff that not a lot of people are doing, but you made a good point. You kind of got to step back from that and put your viewer hat on. Step right. away from the producer aspect in a way, or, you know, put your viewer hat on and say, okay, how would, how do I see this stand hang really unfolding? You know what I mean? What really happened? Like what's happening right here? You know, maybe you sit in one area looking up in the trees for 15, 20 minutes, trying to figure out what the best tree is. That happens to everybody. You know what I mean? And it's like figuring out how to capture that and really bring the viewer in to that because all viewers have been through that one time or another. You know what I mean? You want them to kind of feel your pain like, shit, I need to be in that tree, but I can't get in that tree for X, Y, and Z. So is that the better tree? You know, and, and like you said, that's just another example, but that's, that's, a, that's a short, you know, small example to a lot of other things that, are, you know, arise like that in a lot of different circumstances. Not to mention, you know, a big thing is people's trail cam getting stolen. A lot of people's trail cams are getting stolen every year. Knock on wood, I, you know, have not had that happen. Guys on public land get their cameras stolen a lot. You know, you got to you gotta capture that somehow. I mean, that's a pain in the ass because, you know, you spend so much time and money in, into these cameras and everything you do, and then you walk out there, and maybe you haven't been in that area for so long because you wanted to let it sit and, like, you just go in there and your camera's gone. You're like, what the hell? You know, seriously? And you, know, and you want the viewer to, to feel your pain a little bit because other people have been through that. And that's what really makes a show, those kind of elements, what really make a show 
above and beyond better than just taking a camera, setting it on a little tree arm in the tree, hitting record and and recording deer. Yeah, it's it I mean I know exactly what you're saying. I mean that's just the example you used. I mean that happened to me this year. But the thing is if you're filming yourself or you're filming somebody else, just convey the emotion. Said so whether it's anger, you know, happiness and just it's it's hard to recognize it when it's happening, but you know, being pissed off is an emotion. They're gonna tell you shut the camera off or like don't show that. It's like, well, you're mad. I need to show that you're mad about this. Just as much as they want you to show them how happy they are when things actually work out the way they're supposed to. Right. That's that's the difference. Like I want to say the difference, but that's that's up to you as the field producer to recognize and tell that person, I'm sorry, this is the way it is. Like this is part of it. Like watch watch your language so I can tell you. Just I don't care if you're mad. I gotta get it. Yep. Right. You know, and I, I'd like to back up a little bit and I th- I think the route I kind of want to go with this next point is like actually go through a scenario as far as like basically taking it from the truck, you know, from the truck to getting into a tree stand and the different ways that you can shoot that to make everything flow well, just so, cause you know, you see a lot of times where it's like, you might see a guy in the truck or something heading to the stand, but then the next shot is him in the stand talking to the camera. Where's those shots in between? You know what I mean? Where, where is that time? You know, what should you be shooting? Cause a lot of people have asked me, how do you produce that side of things? And, and how do you get the vision for that? And how do you lay that, that story down? Well, I'm just going to start from what I do, you know, from, from the truck. So I'm just going to take it from the truck. And if, and if I'm filming someone else, you can take this for self-filming also. And I can give you a couple of different examples. So, but for the first one, Let's say I am filming someone else. I'm not hunting. I'm the field producer and I've got a hunter. So, you know, that hunter is going to go through a process at the truck and that process is going to probably be putting on his camo, his or her camo, taking the bow out of the case or rifle and, you know, putting boots on maybe like capture all that stuff from different angles. And you always got to think tight shots, medium shots and wide shots. You don't want everything as a medium shot, you know, from one medium shot to the next, one wide shot to the next, one tight to a tight. You know, you always want to go from a tight to a medium to wide or, you know, there's so many endless possibilities, a wide to a tight to a medium. You know, think of it in different ways like that. So shoot it in three different ways. And I'm I'm not saying like get a shot of someone putting their boot on as a wide and then be like, okay, take your boot out and do it again. You can do that if you want. And then you get like a medium shot or if you want to get a different composition, what I mean by that is, you know, maybe get a different shot, maybe go around to the other side or, you know, get above them if you can, like on a tailgate or something to look down and maybe that's your medium shot. You know, think of out of the box things and and different angles. Um, and And another way is, so let's say the hunter is dressed, ready to go walk into the stand. So a, a shot that I like to get, to kind of get me into that stand is there's one shot you can do and it's a wide shot from you know either the buggy whether it be like a you know a truck or if it's a ranger or whatever it is is kind of get get the 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 truck or whatever you guys took there get that kind of framed up in it where you can kind of see it in the shot not like all of it just a little bit of it and then you see the hunter walking at a distance, you know what I mean? And, and walking away from the truck. So that kind of tells the viewers, okay, they're leaving the truck. They're heading to the stand so that, you know, you kind of got to keep that flow going. And then that, that gets you into the stand. Um, there's other ways you can do shots when you get to the stand. Usually the cameraman or the field producer goes up first. So if you go up first, get your camera ready real quick, get a shot down at the hunter coming up into the stand. You know, that's another way to get someone in the stand it's just those little shots the extra ones that a lot of people overlook and you know they don't get and that's just like i said i'm going to keep going back to it that's what draws the viewer in more yeah it does it's it's because you can it's because you're able to to bring that person through the screen and put them right in that same position yes they're they are watching what's going on like they know they're not there but there are little things that make you realize how much you like it and you don't even know it's happening like 
just just the way you cut from wide to medium to tight or I mean I, I a lot of times I find myself skipping the medium angle you know depending on the situation I like going from like extreme tight to like super wide like drone yeah. shot drone shot establishing like tailgate coming down and then boom right to the hand on the tote like full frame like one extreme to the other right but I mean it's people don't even realize why they like the, you know the visual stimulation that that has they don't even realize it's happening but it's like wow that was cool exactly yeah they don't think about like oh that guy did that three different times you know he made him recreate that three different times they don't think of that they just think of because they're invested they're engaged you know and you brought up a good point drone shots drone shots are a good transition shot from one place to the next you know or a good b-roll shot um you know the b-roll that we shoot we like to go out and you know before the season i have like a manifest that that everybody gets or we have a meeting that we talk about it to all the shooters that are working on rival wild or dropped or whatever it is but i'm for this instance i'm going to talk about rival wild and like a midwest feel so going into this you know the series going into the season we talk amongst each other and we say okay what is the b-roll that we're going to need this year to establish the midwest and where we're at you know so if we're in kansas it's a lot of open plains it's a lot of you know crp and fence rows and all that stuff go capture that stuff. You know, if you guys have a, uh, if you take a morning off from hunting, go out that morning, get a sunrise, get uh fence shots, static shots, which static shots. And I've said it before is just, you know, a shot that's just stagnant. You know, you hit record and, and let it roll for six, seven seconds. That's a static shot. Get some pans, get some, uh, you know, time lapses, everything, everything that tells the story about where you're at and sets the stage of where you're at. Because like I said, nobody wants to see something where you're just in the stand all the time and there's no extra stuff. You know, if I was doing a show on Michigan, I'd really want to hone in on a deer camp atmosphere because not just Michigan, I'm just saying that for, you know, because that's where I am right now. And that's, that's Michigan tradition is, is deer camp, but deer camp is, tradition all over you know all over the midwest it just might be portrayed in different ways you know so get the camaraderie around camp get the cooking get the the eating the you know all that stuff skinning the deer after you you know able to kill one all that stuff is crucial to a storyline and to a show that you want to be effective and you want people to be engaged in yeah that's and that's that's the ultimate goal is to engage the viewer and there's a couple different ways to be able to do that as well. And, you know, for instance, you know, when we started Rival Wild, we wanted it to be more cinematic. What I mean by that is we wanted it to feel more of like a short film movie type. And we wanted all the cameras on tripods. Like every shot was going to be a tripod shot. And we wanted it to be like a little more of a slower pace, not so upbeat and, you know, just more cinematic, more thinking about the quality of the shots and the storyline than, you know, I, then just kind of like running off the cuff with it. Now with that end of the spectrum, you have another end of the spectrum and it's kind of what you guys do at Midwest whitetail and you guys are very effective at doing it. And it's two different ways, but you know, between rival wild and the Midwest whitetail feel, but at the end of the day, we're getting the same results as far as like engagement and viewership and quality, but it we're just going about it two different ways. And I, I, I'm going to let you kind of elaborate a little more on that side. Yeah, I think the, the the term you use is off the cuff, and it's you know that's true to a degree. I mean, we still plan our episodes. Um, like I, I know you didn't call us out there. I'm just I'm just using what you said in our in our in our case here. But uh, you know, we we plan every week episode. Um, you know we pick a topic we're going to discuss, talk about, you know, what we're going to say about it. Um, you know, and this, this runs from off season, like right now, like we just started our off season series and, you know, we even do that throughout the entire hunting season. And it just gets, it gets pretty tough to be honest, because you've got so many people that are hunting at the same time. And like, especially when you watch chasing November, there's three or four storylines going at once, but it's all the same footage that we already had from the previous year's season 
So it's like we're telling the story in a different way. Like it's a little more cinematic. We kind of elevate the production, you know, to to be more story driven or more. Um, I don't want to say story driven because I mean there's a story to tell during deer season, but it's it's more, I guess, like cinematic, like you said. Um, whereas during the season, it's kind of, you know, we don't have time to do this right now, but let's just let's edit it in a way that keeps it real and relatable and let's make sure there's some kind of educational element in there. Like talk about why your hunt was successful or, you know, we just break something down that, that worked for you, whether you killed or not, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Talk about what you're going to do next time. You know, and it's, it's not a matter of, like you said, whether it's the right way or the wrong way to do it. It's just, we're, we're getting to the same place at the end of this. We're just doing it two different ways in the moment. Right, but we also have some similarities in the fact that we're planning things out that we can control, like you had talked and like right. I had talked. Yeah. We're planning out what B-roll we want to get. We're planning out what storylines we want to happen You know that we can control. We can't control whether we're going to go out and, and get on a 150-inch four-and-a-half-year-old. We can't control that. We can try and try and try and, and hunt our ass off and work to that goal, but that's the fun part about it because – that whole journey is all story. There's story there. And then there's all these other little story elements that come off of it as far as like you could be hunting a deer for two weeks and all of a sudden a big snowstorm comes or weather rolls in and or he gets hit by a car or he gets, you know, killed by a neighbor. Like that's another good, you know, way of thinking too. Let's say you're building this story up about this deer and the neighbor kills him. Now how do you close that story out with that deer? You know, do you just talk about like, you know, yeah, the, the neighbor killed him, but then you don't have any supporting footage of, you know, pictures probably or video of him. See if you can get a hold of that neighbor and go film the deer. You know right. what I mean? Like that's the extra stuff that we're talking about that really gets the train moving and really, like I said, engagement. It gets everybody engaged and it just makes it that much better. Yeah. We do do a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. Uh, we had we had a very similar situation last week. I, I had to put a blog out, and literally, it's what you just said. One of the guys' private farms in Decatur, he found found out that two of his deer, his hitless deer, were killed, both by the neighbors, and uh, he found out at at the deer classic because the taxidermist came up and told him. But he had like three years with the sheds, so we did a little segment on that, talking about his progression up to five years old, and then to have the neighbor kill him. See, and that's cool. That's like, you know, that's closing out that story. Yeah. That's, you know, it sucks to, to know that two of your hit listers got killed, but now you can close out that story. And now there's a little bit of closure and the, and the story keeps going on. Yeah. My final thoughts or closing thoughts for everything that we just kind of covered is don't forget to think of the editor, whether the editor is you or the whether the editor is someone else in the end as you're shooting all this stuff. You don't want to leave your editor out to dry with nothing else to use to get that story flowing because the editor is going to gouge his eyeballs out because he can't you know, figure out where the story is going or finish the story, start it, or where's the, the middle of it. So always think of your editor as you're shooting with the story. Now, rule of thumb as well is if you ask yourself, should I shoot that? You know, you're questioning yourself. You should shoot it. Like go shoot it. If you're like, ah, should I get that bird shot? Yes, you should get that bird shot. Yeah. You know, so if you always tell yourself that, then do it. Cause I do it all the time when I'm in the stand, it's like, man, there's a squirrel there. I got to get up out of the chair, out of the seat, get the camera ready. Do I need to shoot it? And it's like, yeah, get a squirrel shot. Get a couple of them. So then the next time a squirrel comes around, maybe you don't have to get a squirrel shot. You got a couple now. Shoot it different ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's better it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. 100%. Shoot it in different ways so your editor can choose from whatever he wants, he or she wants to use. So, you know, that's kind of my closing thoughts on it. Yeah, I think if I had to culminate this, I would I would say you know, there is a, there's an evolutionary process to this. It's not something you can just go do and, you know, be great at and get everything right every time right out of the gate. I mean, um, you know, just, so just, just realize that 
it, it takes a lot of experience in the field and on the computer to really, you know, grasp what we're talking about here and to realize where you stand in that, in that evolutionary process. And I mean, it's, I'm not saying you're bad if you're not all the way there yet, just realize where you are in that process. Like, I mean, you and I are both still learning stuff every day. I mean, I, I know I do every day. I mean, there's still, there's still shortcuts I don't know or use on Premiere. You know, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, getting a creative shot in the field. It, you know, it, it's, it's about as being just as creative once you get back to the computer or thinking about the creativity of the editor you're giving it to, you know, like, like you said, just, just leave them a way in, leave them a way out and, you know, everything will be good. And, you know, if you want to, you know, we mentioned relatability a minute ago and I mean, there's no, there's nothing more real and raw and relatable than, you know, just a, a vlogger on YouTube, but you know, putting, putting videos out about, um, man, anything. I mean, Joel Burham, Whitetail Fit, like we had him on a few weeks ago. I mean, there's a guy who just started an apparel brand, you know, and just kind of just kept pounding, pounding the brand and, you know, running his, his hashtag, uh, venison gains and just one thing led to another and another and another. And it's like, man, he just partnered with Realtree. Okay. And he's just, he's just self-filming blogs at the gym or getting his bow set up at Shields, you know, uh, he films his own hunts too, you know, and he, he does all his own editing. I mean, I guarantee if you ask him, I mean, this probably wasn't, you know, something he thought was feasible when he first started. He's like, I just want to sell some t-shirts, you know? And it's like, you start doing a little more, a little more, a little more, and then you just start feeding the beast. And it's like, next thing you know, you've, you've got an empire. I mean, Right. It's, it's, he's the perfect example. I'm yeah. glad you brought him no, up. He's it, perfect. It really is. And I mean, anybody, I mean, I don't, I don't follow a lot of people on YouTube outside of the industry. Um, but you know, there is a, I'll say it again, the word relatability. There's, there's nothing that will grab someone's attention more than when they realize how much they have in common with you. Like, it's like, wow, they're, they're no different than me. They're hunting grandpa's farm or, you know, they're shooting the bow that, you know, their brother gave up or, you know what I mean? Like not everybody is out there shooting brand new stuff every year or using this or that, or, you know, those people that say must be nice to blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, there's just as much effectiveness in doing it your way because that's the way the majority of people do it. Guys like us, we're, we're doing it with specific products because there's a lot of money on the line. And that's, you know, unfortunately that's just the opposite side of the coin. I mean, that's, that's industry, that's business. And that's what you and I are in. Um, but I mean, if you look at people that are just as successful, if not more doing it their own way and just talking about, you know, going to adopt a dog from the, the pound or whatever, I mean, the proof is in the numbers. There's, What's your goal, and how are you getting there? Who's getting more views? Yep. How many views are you getting? How many views are they getting? You know, and it's that's what brings value to stuff like this is the number of eyeballs you can put on it. So, yep, be different. Yeah, figure out what that is and be different. You know, try something new. Get out of your comfort. Comfort is comforts when you die. <laughs> I mean, oh. you know what I mean. When you get comfortable, that's when you're. That's when you're stagnant, and that's when you start getting yeah. That's when you get lapped. Comfort, comfortable. Yeah, you, yeah. you get lapped. And I mean, you, I, I said it a few weeks yep. ago. It's like I constantly think about myself as like a, a, a football player, a quarterback. It's like if, I, if I'm not up on my game, there's 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 15 other people that could have my job tomorrow. You know, there's 15 people that want it. Put it that way. You know, right. In some cases, that may mean there's 15,000 people that want it. I mean, I have no idea, but. Exactly. You gotta stay. You, you gotta continue with that evolutionary process. You gotta keep evolving. You know, both technically, you know, with your equipment, um, which seems to be almost impossible to keep up with, but also with your, with the knowledge you have and your creativity. It's it's hard to demand creativity from yourself. You know, it's like I feel like I have writer's block sometimes. I sit here and and look at a blank timeline for forty five minutes just trying to figure out what the hell I'm gonna do. Then when you get into it, you start diving into the footage and things start clicking, you know, because it was shot the right way. You got a lot of storyline and things just start laying out for you. Yep. You know, so I think, I think we leave it with that, man, you know, and 
this isn't going to be the last time we're going to touch on this. And if anybody out there wants more specific direction on different things, reach out to us and ask us. And, and we'll give you, a, to the best of our opinion or best of <laughs> best of our ability of, of how we do things, and maybe that might help you as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we leave it with that. And But the lasting note, I do want to say, you know, thank you to everybody for the support on this podcast. And, you know, I say it a lot. But uh, it's much appreciated, you know. And if you guys could still go to iTunes or wherever you download the podcast and leave a rating and leave a review, just, you know, go in there and and leave a rating and just write a sentence like, hey, guys, you guys are killing it. Or, hey, this is a bunch of shit. You need to change this up. This is what I want to hear. You know, we want to hear it all. So, you know, you're not going to hurt our feelings at all. And uh, we just need feedback to... So we don't get comfortable and get stagnant. We want to keep growing and keep getting better. So, again, I appreciate it. I know Justin appreciates it, but uh, I don't know. Do you got anything to to leave him with? Um, no. I mean, nothing I haven't said already. And I mean, my my biggest piece of advice was to to realize where you are in that evolutionary process of this whole thing, and you know, don't let yourself get lapped. Just continue to evolve and adapt and accept the changes that are happening every single day and just learn how to use them to your advantage well cool we're gonna shut this down and like i said everybody just keep grinding out there and be different be different than the next guy because that's gonna it's really gonna catapult you to you know the next step so thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you soon that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv join captain justin leak and meredith mccord for the best fishing action along panama city beach tune in to chasing the sun every sunday at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv